We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, media, and tech. And today, we're excited. We've got Bobby Herrera joining us, who is CEO at Populous Group. Let's jump in and get to know Bobby. Bobby, welcome. How are the undogs, fellas? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks for joining us. And we're excited you're here. Please tell us a, a, a little bit about what you're doing for a living and, and tell us about Populous Group. Yeah. Hey, so you mind if I start with the more important side, the uh, the other side of the resume first? Absolutely. Go for it. Yeah. Hey, so I'm, I'm a student of struggle. Consistent theme in my story early. I'm a proud Army veteran. You know, I'm an entrepreneur who's made a lot of mistakes. I think, you know, God's given me more than I deserve and I'm just trying to pay that forward. I started my community Populous Group in 2002. At the core of that mission was living out my beliefs that I believe someone, you know, we all deserve an opportunity to succeed. It's in year 18 now. You know, first five years, Eric, most fun I never want to have again, as <laughs> you two very well understand. And uh, been building and narrating a wonderful story ever, ever since that, you know, has uh, given me an opportunity to pay forward a kind act that changed my life when I was a young man. And at the core of, you know, what we do is, you know, helping organizations better manage their non-permanent workforce. You know, as you know, it's a raging war for talent out there mm-hmm. and it's only getting more fierce. And, you know, my community helps organizations better manage their non-permanent workforce so that they can get a much stronger grip on those big problems they're trying to solve. And, you know, a lot of that is getting involved in many different industries, but we do a lot in the technology space. Um, have been for many, many years. So we're super grateful we're just building on that story. Mm, that's great. I want to come back to that a little bit and have you tell us some more about how you got started and obviously where you ended up, you know, sort of now and the great work that you're doing. Tell us about where you were born and raised. Give us a, an idea what the early days for Bobby were like. You know, the story started in Southeast New Mexico. I'm number 11 of 13 kids. So I still eat with wow. my elbows on the table. Uh, <laughs> I didn't speak a lick of English until I was seven. I was the very first kid born in the U.S. in my family. And uh, growing up there, when I turned 18, you know, I raised my hand to join the best branch of all, you know, U.S. Army and served with honor for a while and, you know, went to school and started some chapters of my professional journey after college. And, you know, eventually that led to me taking the leap in 2002 to start you know, populist group, which, yeah, like I said earlier, it's in year 18, which technically would make us what a senior in high school. Um, (laughs) But you know, those first 10 years, we flunked at least three times, fella. So we're just a big eighth grader. (laughs) (laughs) Bobby, you know, not speaking English till the age of seven and being, you know, number 11 of 13. How did that shape you, you know, into sort of who you were and what did you learn about how to grow up with all of that. Uh, Well, I think it was Mark Twain that said, uh, hey, uh, I'm going to paraphrase here, but I think the quote is, hey, siblings, the enemy you can't live without. You know, having so many siblings, seven brothers, five sisters, man, it teaches you to be savvy, teaches you to negotiate, teaches you to, uh, you know, read people, protect yourself. You know, we were a migrant farm working family. So, you know, in English, you know, my dad used to pull all us kids out of school in April. And 
you know, we living in New Mexico, we would then start what I called our journey as part of the invisible workforce. So when he'd pull us out of school in April, we'd go to Colorado to work in the onion fields. Then we'd go to Wyoming to work in the sugar beets. Then we'd go to Idaho to pick potatoes and pears. And then, you know, throughout the rest of summer and fall, we'd make our way back down to New Mexico. And six months out of the year, I was working in the fields at a very young age. And, you know, you learn a lot about people, how to read people and how to take care of yourself when you grow up in an environment like that. And, you know, when you're growing up like that, like I'm sure, you know, you can relate to in, in your own way, you don't know any different. You think the rest of the world is doing the same thing. But, you know, it wasn't until I got to the military mm -hmm. and I started meeting other you know, young men from all over the country that I realized, man, you know, not everybody grew up the way that I did. And I tell a story in my book, The Gift of Struggle, on a marker moment at very early on in, in my time in the Army that kind of changed the way I looked at all that struggle and transient, you know, Mexican gypsy type journey that I'd been on. That's fascinating. And, and Bobby, obviously things change, like you said, when you're in the, in the army and thank you for your service. And from there, how did you move into uh, the career path that got you started into like where you are now? Uh, you know, after I got out of the army and uh, I went to college and back in New Mexico, uh, New Mexico state, after I graduated, I took a job in St. Louis and like any other you know, red-blooded young man. I had no idea what I was doing. You know, you're trying to get a job, start your journey. But I always had an entrepreneurial itch that I wanted to scratch, Eric. And, uh, you know, growing up, I had more reverse role models than I cared to admit, making choices that, you know, put them in very difficult positions. I knew I wanted a different path. But I also knew that I wanted to take control of my own story. And, you know, do things that my family was never able to do. And after my first job, uh, after college, the company that I was with, I got declined three times for a sales role. Mm. They kept telling me, no, you know, I wanted to use my Spanish because I was pursuing a, a international sales role. And they kept telling me, no, you can't sell. No, you know, you don't have this, that, this, that, man. But I knew that I could, I could do it. Finally, out of sheer frustration, I took a job with a very small organization out of Chicago that a friend from college had referred me to that was in the recruiting industry for high-end technical folks, you know, a headhunter. And, you know, out of frustration and sheer determination, I took the job, took a 50% pay cut, quit my job in St. Louis, moved to Chicago, not knowing a soul. And I took the leap and taking that, that leap and that risk introduced me to an industry that one, I didn't know existed. And I just put myself in a lot of positions. After I took that job in Chicago, I moved like seven times for that company to different cities across the US. Just hey, like, hey, half hat will travel. I'm eager to learn. And I just kept putting myself out there. And you fast forward 10, 11 years from then and I said, hey, time for me to hang my own shingle and try to do this. And that's kind of how it had evolved learning through there, putting myself in those positions. And I finally just took the leap. Amazing. 
Nice. Bobby, the, the book, The Gift of Struggle, what motivated you to write the book? Man, Carell, writing a book wasn't on my list, man. I sat next to smart people like you to get through New Mexico State. <laughs> uh, you know, Carell, I'm a storyteller. Uh, my dad was a magnificent storyteller, and he gave me the gift of storytelling. And uh, so you know, throughout my entrepreneurial career, I do a lot of storytelling for kids born on the wrong side of the opportunity divide like myself mm. and for veterans and serving minority and veteran entrepreneurs. And hey, throughout that journey, I actually was at, a, at an event in Nashville and I spoke after someone that I admired and I told a couple of stories that I tell in the book. And the gentleman waited for me afterwards and he said, hey, man, you, you, you got to write a book. You got to put those stories in a book. And I was like, I don't know where to start. It's not on my list. And so he gave me some encouragement. Some other people have given me some nods. But when I finally did it, to answer your question directly, Carell, I wrote the book to give. Mm. And I wrote the book that I wish someone would have written for me when I was early in my journey. Gotcha. Something that was simple, palatable, and that would give the reader something that they could do to take control of their own story. Because when I was at that point of my leadership journey, man, I was looking for hope. and I didn't know if I had what it took, and I just, I just wanted to help someone shift the narrative a little bit on the stories of their struggles, and that's why I wrote it. Gotcha, gotcha. In one of your chapters, Bob, you write about leadership being an inside job. What do you mean by that? Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, there's no doubt. You know, I think the single most important question we can ever ask ourselves is, hey, who am I becoming? Mm-hmm. And that's a journey. You know, and I use the mountain metaphor a lot, Corral, and that you know, I believe we're all climbing our own mountain. Like there's a place that we imagine that looks and feels better than where we are today. And, you know, at the heart of it is that internal narrative that we struggle with. It's like, hey, do I have what it takes? What do I need to do to become that person mm-hmm. that I imagine? And, you know, I, I think we're all designed for success if we pursue that journey. But it starts with, you know, doing that deep reflection on answering that question, who am I becoming? And then putting one foot in front of the other and, you know, avoiding that temptation to point, you know, it's us. We have more control than we realize. So, And sometimes that's the hardest part, right? That internal self-evaluation of who am I becoming, right? Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, uh, I, would, I would politely edit that and say, not sometimes, that is the hardest part, you know, that's... <laughs> Yeah, one of my favorite quotes is uh, you know, from Sir Edmund Hillary, you know, leaning into that mountain metaphor. You know, he was the first uh, person ever summit Everest. But it's like, it's not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. Huh. And in the book, I write, you know, I reference the technical definition of struggle, right? You know, that, that an obstacle or overcoming a difficulty. But the real struggle is that narrative, that inner critic that story that we tell ourselves, that self-doubt, like that's the real pain. So, man, taking control of that narrative, reframing our stories, man, that's how you get to that place that you imagine, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. What do you love about being a CEO? Uh, man, you know what CEO stands for? Kira, what does CEO stand for? <laughs> I feel like this is a trick question. It is, man. I mean, <laughs> I'm looking you in, but we're going to have some fun with it, man. Let's lean in. I mean, I'm, I'm going to give you the, the technical right answer, chief yeah. executive officer, but yeah, I feel yeah. like I'm wrong. <laughs> no, well, hey, you know what? And that's good because, you know, that's what the world wants us to think, right? That, you yeah. know, 
the right answer is chief executive officer. But, you know, maybe that's the right answer. But I believe the best answer is, you know, I think the E should stand for two things, chief encouragement officer and chief editing officer. Because I believe that as a leader, we need to have help people feel like we want more for them than from them. Mm. And two ways to do that is to give them the encouragement they need to climb the mountain they're climbing and two, edit things that are in their way. So mm. if we encourage and we edit, it's like, amen, that's what life's all about, right? I love that. Yeah. So there right. we go. I'm going to use that one if you're okay hey, that's, with that. That's, that's good, man. <laughs> Just, you know, put a Wrote put it down. water on my bar tab. <laughs> and I use it. Like, I won't ever collect, I promise. You know, I'm not much of a drinker anyway, so... <laughs> Yo, Bobby, I wanted to ask you an, another question here. You mentioned earlier, and this is along the lines of the CEO question, you mentioned earlier that, and you were kind of joking, but I'm assuming over the 18 years of the company, you have had some ups and downs. You mentioned earlier about the company flunking three times. And I was just curious, with, with some of these ups and downs and the company being around for, I believe, 18 years, you said, what are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way? about overcoming some of the roadblocks and challenges you've had to face uh, as an organization as, and as leading company? Well, hey, man, there have been many ups and downs. Mm. Um, you know, there's no, no straight shot up the mountain, right? I think I said we flunked at least three times. There's probably mm-hmm. more. You know, may I tell you a quick story that I think will bring to life the essence of one of my biggest mistakes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I tell this in the beginning of, of the book, but when I was 17, my brother, Ed, and I, we were on a return trip home from a basketball game. And along the way, the team stopped for dinner. Everyone unloads off the bus, mm-hmm. except for me and Ed. You know, we didn't have the means to play sports and afford dinner. You know, you mm-hmm. heard how big our tribe was. Mm-hmm. So we were very accustomed to staying back on that bus. Well, a few moments after the team unloads, one of the dads, the other players, you know, he steps on board the bus. And he razzed me a little bit because Ed had outscored me that night. but then he said something to me that i'll never ever forget bobby it would make me very happy if you would allow me to buy you boys dinner so you can join the rest of the team nobody else has to know all you have to do to thank me is do the same thing for another great kid just like you in the future wow and i i'll never forget how i felt in that moment corral and i remember stepping off the bus that night and although i had no idea what i was going to do after that moment, I knew why. Wow. I would somehow, some way, figure out a way to create something to pay forward that kind act to other kids like me who were born on the wrong side of the opportunity to buy. And that moment gave me hope I didn't have before then. So I tell you that story because the first 10 years of starting my company, I was the only person that knew that story. Mm. But that moment was raging like an inferno inside of me. And the moment I mustered up the courage to tell that story, it created a connection and an identity that helped us all understand that I was trying to build something to meet one of our biggest desires as people, and that is to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. But before then, all people saw was this intense entrepreneur trying to build a company. After that, they saw a human that was trying to give and give them contribution so they could decide whether or not they wanted to contribute with me. 
That's one of my biggest mistakes, not telling the story that gave me identity and purpose. Mm. And I'm going I'm to give you an example of how important that is. When I told that story, populist group, at that point in time, we were at around $100 million in annual revenue, pretty decent sized company, right? But that was in the a year 10 of our climb, right? It's been eight years since I told that story. So it took us from zero to 10 to get to 100 million. After I told that story, we went from 100 to 600 million. I don't know. You tell me. Does building something around purpose and identity matter? Absolutely. 100%. So, hey, for naysayers or leaders out there that have a deep, meaningful story around in, in their heart, and if you haven't told it to your people, I don't know, you decide. It matters. Absolutely. And uh, that's tremendous. Uh, you know, you've got a family, you've got a successful company. How do you make it all work? You know, sometimes there's a work-life balance discussion, like yeah. is there such a thing? Is there not? How does uh, Bobby Veretto make it work? Uh, well, you know, I, I learned a while back that no isn't a four-letter word, you know, Back to that, you know, the E, the chief editing officer, right? Uh, I'm incredibly selective on what I say yes to. Mm. And if it doesn't check a few simple boxes, then it's a very polite no. You know, I think no helps people understand what our boundaries are and helps people understand, you know, what you stand for. And, you know, saying yes to everything is well intended, but it's wrong. So I got really good at that uh, a while back, Eric. That's, That's good advice. Bobby, tell us about some some mentors in, in your life that you know you think about. You know, family, professional sort of mentors. Tell us about some of these folks. Man, I've had some good ones. I tell one about one of my best mentors. You know, aside from my my father, in the book, a gentleman named Doctor Joe. He's one of those industrial psychologist types who's forgotten more about human behavior than most people know. Because I, I learned early on from Dr. Joe that, you know, building a community, building a business, building a brand or whatever it is, you just have to be obsessed with making great people better people. And Dr. Joe, what he's really helped me do is, first and foremost, understand myself, that inside job, who am I becoming question. But then I think what the second most important part of leadership is, you know, hey, I sign off every one of my emails with a very simple salutation that's give greater than sign take give more than you take Hmm. and part of giving more than you take is really understanding the mountain others are climbing how you can help them how you can be compassionate towards them how you can see them and kind of like that man on the bus saw me and uh dr joe's really helped me understand the essence of of those two who am i becoming and am i giving more than i'm taking priceless Priceless wisdom that I've been able to soak up from, from him over the years. And, you know, other people that I've studied that had similar, you know, values and passions about serving. Great. Now, Bobby, obviously you, you've got your own book, but what else are you reading? Where do you draw inspiration from? Where, how do you stay up to date? What, what other uh, great books or pieces of content out there do you consume? Yeah. Hey, great question. You know, I talk about my Bible row in the book and, you know, some books that are, you know, on my Bible row, you can't see it from here, but I'm pointing at it, you know, you and I talk. You know, I believe repetition is a mother's skill, Corel. And so I'm a big rereader. 
mm. of books that, that have served me in the past. I'm a big student on the business side. On the, I call that the team two. On the team two side, I'm a big student of Patrick Lencioni and his fables. You know, he just wrote a magnificent short read on leadership, The Motive. Mm. Very wonderful book. But even more important than that, hey, above all, I want to be an all-pro dad. I just read, again, for the second time, a wonderful book called How to Raise Successful People. And I'll often tell people, it's like, hey, if you want to raise kind, independent, trustworthy, reliable children, pick up the book and read it. But if that's not important to you, don't waste your time. <laughs> but if, if, if that's something that's important to you, hey, read that book twice. It's fabulous. It's great. You, you mentioned you, you go back and you reread books. Do you pick up new things the second or third time around when you, when you reread them that maybe you missed? Or just uh, you're at a different place, so you have a different perspective on things? Uh, yes, I do. Yes and yeah. yes. You know, Carell, I, you know, building a business is situational, right? It's mm. kind of like when we grow up in life, where you are in your current situation, it's dependent on the life cycle you're in, the stage you're in, and so forth. So yes, I go back and I reread them, and it actually serves two purposes for me. Number one, it's a good, intense look in the mirror in terms of, hey, am I being a real student? Said another way, am I applying what I said I was going to apply to change my behavior? That's one. Two mm -hmm. is like, okay, why does this matter now? And how is this different now? Because it's always going to be dependent on where we are on the mountain and what the weather's like. Right. So right. you've given some great insights and shared some great advice for that CEO or entrepreneur that's out there that's listening, that's about to start their own company or is just getting started, what's that one piece of advice you would give to that individual? You know, Kirill, I, uh, I try real hard actually not to be what my good friend Michael Stainer says, an advice monster. Uh -huh. uh, but here, here's what I would say, right? I would ask this courageous, gritty you know, man or woman that's trying to build something bigger than themselves is number one, consider these questions. Do the people you lead know the invisible force that drives you? Huh. Number two, have you shared with them the type of culture and community you're trying to build? Super important. And number three, how are you choosing your impact in the story that you're narrating? Because when it really comes down to it, you're not running a business, you're narrating a story. And so I would ask them to consider if the people that they're leading, would they be better knowing the answer or not? Mm. And I think once they, you know, take a deep reflection and ask themselves those good questions, maybe it'll lead them to the truth and uh, better answers. So, you know, gotcha. but that's what's helped me over the years. Mm -hmm. Maybe it'll serve them, Carol. So Awesome. Sound advice. Thanks for that, Bobby. Fun question. I love asking every guest we have on the, on the podcast. Give us the top three apps on your phone that you use, but you can't name your email, calendar, or text messaging. Those are too easy. <laughs> Man, the top three apps, but I can't do my email? No. Nope. <laughs> can't do my what? Calendar. Calendar? Or text messaging. Or text messaging. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, I don't get out much. I don't use many apps, but I'll tell you, I'll give you my, my funnest one, the right. best one. All That'll right. work, yeah. It's the Disneyland app because, man, I love creating stories with my family at Disneyland, uh -huh. but I don't like standing in long lines. So, 
when we do get to create fun moments at Disneyland or Disney World, those are that's my favorite app. All right. There you go. <laughs> well, uh, Bobby, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, tell us like how our audience can stay in touch with you and how they can find you, number one. And then second, please tell us how and where our listeners can, can find your book as well. Yeah, so I can be very active on LinkedIn. They can follow me on LinkedIn. I'm very active uh, posting leadership stories, stories, you know, students who struggle. My website's bobby-herrera.com. Again, similar storytelling lessons that I share there. My book, fortunately, is pretty much it's carried in um, every major retailer, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It was one of the bigger airport books because it's simple, non-threatening, and, you know, it's an easy flight back when the world was traveling, mm. right? So uh, it's been a big airport book. So uh, those are probably the best places. Awesome. Well, Bobby, thanks for hanging with us and thanks for sharing some of those amazing stories and uh, the gift of struggle. And uh, everyone, thanks for listening and you can find additional episodes everywhere you find your audio. Thank you.